0: Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome into a special edition of Final Whistle. Here with me today, I have Cole Kubelik, former offensive lineman at Auburn in the late 90s, early 2000s. He's currently an ESPN and SEC network, SEC network analyst, as well as he's a co-host of the three-man front. Cole, I hope you and your family are doing well, and I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to come on Final Whistle and chat it up with me.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you having me today. Doing really well. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. So let's jump right in at at your time at Auburn. You played uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. You played under two different head coaches in Terry Bowden and Coach Tommy Tupperville. For you, what was the impact of being able to play college football at, at the highest level and then the differences between playing under Coach Bowden and Coach Tupperville?
1: Technically three, because Bill Oliver was our interim head coach for a couple games there in the second half of the season, but um, obviously easily forgotten. Um, I tell people this, um, playing college football has assisted, if not, maybe be, might be 100% responsible for every dime that I've made in my professional life. And that doesn't just include broadcasting. That includes pharmaceutical sales, medical sales, things like that, because I've, I got a pharmaceutical sales job right out of college and I, I didn't have experience for that. I mean, there was an expansion for our, a company called Sanofi Sintolabo in the Birmingham area, really nationally. There were interviews in Birmingham. I went, I had an aunt who was in pharmaceutical sales. She helped me prepare for the interview. Uh, she got me in touch with the right people to be able to speak to about it. And all of a sudden, the guy that's interviewing me is a, a big Auburn fan. I didn't know at the time, he told me this after the fact. And I think that kind of helped I think there was sort of a, you know, there was initial filtering process and then they really interviewed the, the next time. And that got me through to the second interview. And I just kind of won the guy over and, and they believed in me and that, that got me the job. Same thing when I went from pharma to medical sales was uh, the guy who hired me was a huge Auburn fan and I don't get a conversation with him if, if he doesn't sit down and talk to me. So, um, and then obviously I'm not, I'm not doing a show on jocks every day in Birmingham. I'm not on the SEC network so on and so forth. If, um, I mean, you're not having me on this podcast, if, if I don't play college football. So it's why I always try to counter the let's just play the players discussion with, you know, the, the, the power of the platform that is provided for college, especially football and basketball players. And, and I think that has grown to, um, you know, I've, I've talked for a while about the, the room for marketing with other sports, um, you look at, at the girl that played Duke soccer. I, I don't know her name, uh, but she dates the, uh, the guy from Duke that's in the NBA now. And, I mean, she had three four 400,000 followers on Instagram. Um, you look at Katie George, who works for the ACC Network. When she was at Louisville, she absolutely could have made some money. Um, you look at this girl. Uh, I think her name is Libby Dunn that's a gymnast at LSU right now. She's about to hit a million Instagram followers. She could make some money right now. Uh, via name, image, likeness, but also I think some of those females would also tell you that where they are and where, how they got to where they are is a little bit responsible for some of the popularity that they have. So I, I think there there is a sliding scale, but it's just when everyone seems to go attack mode on we have to pay these players, we have to give these players a salary, these, der- these players des- – or even the players themselves – deserve demand 50% of the television revenue, yeah. which is laughable. Um, everyone completely forgets the power of the brands that is propping them up and that they're representing. That, I mean, you could take Tua tunga and put him on Southern Miss's football team. He ain't near as valuable. Even if he's putting up the same numbers, it doesn't matter because he's just not getting the exposure. And, and there aren't enough people that care as much. So I, I, I think that the, the power of the platform – that you are provided as a college football player is one that is oftentimes forgotten. Um, People just dismiss the power of wearing a Michigan helmet or an Ohio state helmet or a Texas helmet or a USC helmet or a Miami helmet or an Auburn or Tennessee or, or LSU helmet. Those are very, very powerful brands that it's taken a long time to build. And even then some of the conferences that they're involved in assist in the value of that brand. So, I, I, For me, being able to play college football um, provided me to be able to do what I want to do. Um, I've been in pharma sales, medical sales, insurance sales, packaging sales. I sold boxes for a while. I owned a men's clothing store for a small time. Nothing has even come close to allowing me to be as fulfilled as I am on a daily basis doing what I do now, especially during the fall when I'm able to cover college football games in person. So. It keeps me close to the game that I love. I mean, I love the homework that goes into it. I, I love every aspect of it. I'm not afforded that luxury if I didn't play college football, and probably at a, at a high level. It was hard enough to get here in general. Um, if I'd have played at Troy or UAB, I think it would have been even more difficult to get to where I am now. So I, I owe college football a lot. I owe Auburn a lot. I owe the SEC a lot, and I'll never forget that. That's not, that's not something that I take lightly. Um, And then obviously the the things that come with that are work ethic, toughness, expectation, overcoming obstacles, failure, you know, being benched my senior year, still being voted as a permanent team captain at the end of my senior year, uh, how not to give up, how to work through things, essentially how your work will present itself. You know, if you just keep your head down and work hard and do the things that you're supposed to do and act right, that's going to show up and good things are going to happen to you at some point. Now, what I try to tell people a lot of the times is you also need to measure where your level of satisfaction will fall with whatever profession. Because most people come to me and say, I want to be Kirk Kerbstreet or I want to be Aaron Andrews. And my immediate response is, well, so do I. But you realize there, there's one of those. Like, there's not, I mean, there are not five or eight people that are sitting in a seat like Kirk Kerbstreet is, or like Aaron Andrews is. you know, or, or people come to me and they'll say, oh, I want to be Joe Buck there's not seven Joe bucks. I mean, you got like Joe Buck, Mike Tirico, Jim Nance, like that might be it as, as far as that level. Um, and so where, where on the totem pole of achievement in that field, would you be satisfied? Because if it's just Kirk Curb Street or bust then you should probably find something else to do that just there. And that. I mean, that's anything. I mean, if you're in tech and you say, I want to be the CEO of Apple, that's, that's cool. It's a great goal. I hope you achieve that one day. But if that's also the only satisfactory level of success in that field, you probably need to find something else, because there's a good chance you're not going to make it. So that is something that's very difficult for a lot of people, and I think especially in media because I don't I don't know if there's a perception that it's just it's it's easy to achieve or obtain. Um, I, I don't know if just maybe there's a, there's a lot of confidence with people that think they can just go on and do it, but. I had those conversations on a very regular basis with a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And uh, translating to you being bench your senior year, did that chip on your shoulder drive you to where you are now? Did that did that always <laughs> carry a little bit of a weight on your shoulder? Just having that little self doubt that someone put into your head, Hey, like I'm going to continue to pursue this and pursue my dreams. And I'm
1: not going to give up on those. By no means am I comparing myself to Michael Jordan in any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I, I'm not anywhere near as gifted. I'm nowhere near as talented. I don't think I have anywhere near the drive or determination. But in a very similar sense from what we saw on that 30 for 30 documentary, there have been things like that that have stuck with me for my entire life and I could go I got I actually got in trouble not trouble but I, I mean I had to backtrack some things that I said on my radio show Friday about a situation that occurred with a coach when I was younger and sort of how I still held on to that today um, and I was pretty emotional about it on the air and, and should not have been but uh, that was real I mean that was my story and that was that's something that I thought about a lot. Then I still think about to this day, I have always used doubt as fuel. And I, I feel like this might, there may be people who have a thousand times more doubt. I don't know, because I, I haven't measured everybody else's life experience with mine as far as, well, how many people told you you couldn't do this or how many people told you you'd fail at that. It would take us a really long time for us all to sit down with everybody in our fields and say, all right, Let's measure the haters. Like We can't really do that. But personally, I feel like there have been a lot of instances where I've had very serious doubt about what I was or could be or would be, and they've always stuck with me, all of it. Um, I think that taught me more as the importance of, of team and what it may have taught me more than anything else was just when to shut up. And there, there are always times, and, and my wife does a pretty good job of reminding me of this now, that not everything needs to be said. You know, some things just need to be done, as in you don't need to tell people that something pissed you off, or you don't need to tell people that you don't like something. Just be quiet and do your job and try to make it better on everybody else. Um, you know, my, my, my friend Conrad Thompson gave me a great quote one time and said, You know, uh, the best idea, you know, if you ever want to get something done, make it somebody else's idea. So if I have something that I want to change on a radio show or during a broadcast of a game, you know, how can I, instead of just going there saying, I want this, how can you walk in there and present it where everybody else will see it, recognize it, but then probably say, all right, let's do it like this. But it's essentially that idea. Like Tom Hart is fantastic at that. Tom Hart can come into our production meetings and say, you know, this, this and this happened or if this guy went out and did this and he he rarely comes in and says, no, we're going to do this or we have to do this this way. He has a way of presenting things that other people can can take as their own, manipulate it a little bit. And what do you know? It was their idea, which is, that's fine. not No problem. Still gets done. Uh, multiple ways, you know, to skin a cat. So I think that taught me more of, when, when to just be quiet and work and, and when to be quiet. And there are, you know, football is the ultimate team sport. And that's, that's one of the things that I love about it, but there are, you know, Rick Tricky used to always tell us my offensive line coach, CYA, like you guys work as a unit. That's why I love being a part of the Joe Moore award. It's the only, it's the only award that goes to a position group in, in I think any of sports. I know, I know football. Yeah. And so that group has to work in sync, in harmony. There has to be chemistry. There has to be continuity. You have to understand one another. However, CYA at the end of the day, because if you don't take care of your business and your job, the group cannot find a way to succeed. So I think maybe that was kind of, one of a similar moment to that when I had to go weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of being a backup and never thinking I was going to start again. And then I started. You know, a six-string center going into to two-a-days my senior year. And first off, we didn't have six centers. And I had started the previous two and a half years. And so I didn't start my first game until the Iron Bowl. I started the Iron Bowl. I started the SEC Championship game. And I started the Citrus Bowl, which was my last collegiate game. And the night before the Citrus Bowl, my teammates voted me as a permanent captain, which – is something that I'm never going to shy away from. I'm always going to be proud of that because I think there were enough guys on that team that understood how hard that was. And that was probably a way of them saying, you know, Hey, we get it. We know it. We appreciate it. So yeah, there are, there have been many moments like that, whether it's something that a coach said something that somebody's parents said, um, you know, something that I read uh, and that's still today. I mean, it's the, the, I guess if you function that way inside today, like my, think about how good Michael Jordan would have been today. If he was on Twitter and people telling him how terrible he was every single day. Like if you, if you need that and that fuels you, I it's kind of good and bad. You can go get that a hundred times a day. You know, search your name on Twitter. And there's going to be people telling you how miserable you are all day, every day. So I don't know if that's good or not. Yeah. Um, but it's out there. So there are always little things that I see, and I try to use a lot of them as constructive criticism and, and try to take – I think anytime somebody just comes at you with something, there was probably a very, very small basis for why they said what they said. So a lot of times I'll try to go find out, okay, they said this for a reason, even though what they actually put out there is bogus, but something led to them thinking that. So like, do we maybe need to make an adjustment there, or do we need to try to go look at that? I never look at the whole thing. And paint it with a broad brush and say, oh, I'm a terrible radio host because all I do is talk about Auburn all day, every day. I just know that's not true. But is there something maybe a little bit deeper rooted where I can go back and say, all right, Alabama's basketball team is really good. Maybe we should pay them a little bit more attention. Or Alabama's women's basketball team is about to make the tournament for the first time since I think 88, 89. Like maybe, maybe we need to mention that a few more times. Um, so I think you can find ways to get better, or ways to motivate, which can be the same, all leading towards the same goal of just being the best that you can be. But I've got things like that for my entire life. And there are things, like I said about Friday, there's things that I'll never forget. Um, Forgiveness is something that I'm not good at, that I need to work on, and I'm still trying to work on. But at the same time, because I'm not good at it, a lot of those things stick with me and motivate me on almost a daily basis. For sure.
0: And I want to transition. I mean, Jordan would have probably averaged about 45 in today's era with all this constructive criticism, potentially 45 with a triple double. I'm saying um, potentially, but uh, a fan uh, asked a question that, uh, how close do you think the Auburn tigers were? You guys played in the sec championship a couple of times during your tenure. Do you think you had the opportunity to potentially get over the, how close were you guys to potentially being a real title contender? not your
1: time not not at all no and I'll tell you a couple of things that were very eye-opening um, you know people complain about college football today and how it feels like there's two or three teams you know and that and that's it it's not real competitive I played football in the Southeastern Conference and there were maybe three instances in which I thought, I was even on the same field as a team that would have a chance to win a national championship. Um, You know, 96, 97, Florida, maybe uh, 2000 Florida, maybe obviously we played Tennessee in the 97 SEC championship game, paid Manning. That would have been one. And then in 98, you know, played against Tennessee a team that did win a national title, but it wasn't, Oh, you're undefeated in the SEC. You're just in or you're going to get a look. I mean, it was still, uh, even if you were to go undefeated or be a one loss team in the league, there was going to be some scratching and calling and some things still had to go your way. That was just the overall, I'm just giving you the overall perception of when I was in school. Yeah. And then I think if you would have been playing then and playing against those teams and you really sort of dug in and took a look, you would have seen that in 97 we, we lost to Tennessee by one point in the SEC championship games, great game. Mm-hmm. Um, And then Tennessee went down to the Orange Bowl. And if I'm not mistaken, Nebraska rolled them by 40-something points. And there were a lot of us that were sitting there thinking, well, man, if Peerless Price doesn't score that touchdown at the end of the game, that's us. How would that have looked? Not saying we were worse or better, but just, wow. Yeah. Uh, 2000, Florida, Tarantino scores Rex, you know, he – He put it on us in the SEC championship game pretty good. There wasn't a lot we could do against them defensively. They were just that special. Well, people forget that they went to the Sugar Bowl and played Miami. Yeah. Miami rolled their ass in that game. Mm -hmm. Like, I tell people all the time that I think the 2000 Miami team is better than the 01 Miami team. I mean, that's just – it doesn't really matter here nor there. But it's just the fact that as college football fans and media and observers, we forget greatness faster than anyone in any other sport. And it's because it's, it's constantly, you know, it's a, we're we're constantly cycling people through and and now more than ever. I mean, now it's not just graduating. Now it's okay. He came here. He transferred. Oh, he's going to transfer somewhere else. I mean, how many coaches have we seen this off season, just this off season, take a job, be there a week or two, and then go somewhere else. I mean, I think three or five guys have done it this off season. So the cycle in college football has even ramped up even more. So um, I think because of that, I personally felt like we were a long ways away. I think going into the 97 season, we thought we had a chance. Mm-hmm. Damien Craig back at quarterback. We had Victor Riley up front on the offensive line. We had Fred Beasley in the backfield, which he should have been utilized the tailback a little bit more. We had a good, strong group of receivers. Not a ton of NFL guys, but all just good, reliable receivers. Tough. Like Tyrone Goodson was tough. Hicks poor was tough. Um, You know, we had a pretty good D-line with Jimmy Brumbaugh and Charles Dorsey and Leonardo Carson and then Takiyo Spikes and Ricky Neal at linebacker. They were special. Some veterans in the secondary. Like, we thought we had a chance that year. And, I mean, if you think about it, we we lost to a Mississippi State team that was actually really good that we just didn't play. We played poorly against them. And their defense got the best of us. And then we lost to Florida um, because Jacques Green caught a touchdown, threw a touchdown, and ran a touchdown in. I mean, he was – he was the best player on the field. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then we go and we lose the SEC title game to Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee, you know, was one of the best teams in the nation going down there to play in the orange bowl. So it was, it was very difficult at that time to think that you were really close because it, it was, it was still a very rare instance in which an SEC team arrived and played for and or won a national title. Mm -hmm. For sure. And then for you, uh, transitioning to
0: when you're at Auburn and you pursued a communications media studies degree, when did you start to develop the interest on the media side of things
1: and what spurred you to get into the business? I think I've kind of always wanted to do it in in some fashion, but when I was a kid, we would play Tech Bowl or NBA Jam or RBI Baseball all games that you probably don't know about because you're too young, but <laughs> that was on the original Nintendo entertainment system. And I would call the games. Now I'm doing it being funny and, and jovial and a little bit sarcastic, but my friends always loved it. And they would ask me to do it. Like we would rotate. And so if you lost and you were out, the next guy comes in, you know, they'd be like, Hey, you still call the game? And so I don't know if I ever really wanted to be a play by play guy. Yeah. Um, but I knew that being on the call for games would always be enjoyable. Um, when I got, when I finished at Auburn, you got to think in 2000, there, there were no websites that were dedicated to every school. Uh, there were no podcasts. There were no internet radio stations. There, there weren't multiple sports stations in every town. I mean, outside of New York, LA, Chicago, Atlanta, most towns had one sports channel and you had like maybe a morning show and an afternoon show or a morning show, midday show. And then you took some syndicated stuff. And then as far as the guys calling game on TV, you had your or you had your Jefferson pilot, which was kind of your local crew. And then you had like a CBS, an NBC and like two ESPN crews. That was it. Yeah. I mean, the list of people who actually did it was very small. Mm-hmm. And so I think I got out of college and it was um, like, I think a good paying job in sports talk radio was like 19,000 a year. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be honest, I was tired of being broke, man. I was broke all through college. And and was I afforded some luxuries because I played football? Yes, absolutely. I will not deny that. However, I mean, I not only did I play football at Auburn, but the bartender, the, the head bartender, the manager of the most popular bar in Auburn was one of my good friends in high school. So yes, I was afforded a lot of luxuries financially during my time at Auburn. But I still never had over... A couple hundred bucks in my savings account at one time uh, i would get my scholarship check and i would go pay my rent for the quarter or for the semester because i knew if i didn't do that i was going to run out pretty fast yeah and so that would take like a 1200 hundred dollar scholarship check you know down to like two or three hundred dollars and then you're like all right you got utilities for three months we got cable for three months okay we're we're basically done so yeah i was tired of being broke I didn't want to go do radio for 18,000 or 17,000 or $19,000. And so I looked around a little bit and then always knew I wanted to do it. And my first off season after I played, um, I was, I knew that a local station in Huntsville carried Auburn football. And my dad was friends with the guy that owned a cluster of stations, rocket 95.1, still there. Jimbo and Cassio are on in the mornings, a good friend of mine. And, I went in his office one day and I said, hey, you got Auburn football. Ben Laird, my quarterback at the time, was living in Decatur, 20, 25 minutes away. And I was living there in Huntsville, three minutes down the street. I said, why don't you give us like a pre-pregame show? We know the team better than anybody. And I learned my first and maybe the most valuable lesson in radio at that point when he said, well, if you you want it, just go sell it. If you sell it, you can have it. So we went out and sold some ads. He gave us 30 minutes, which was probably – uh, 17 minutes of airtime, maybe, yeah. and it was recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's with an intro and an out. Uh, so it, it wasn't a lot of breaking anything down or really having long conversations, but I remember the first time we recorded it, I remember the guys that I recorded it with in that studio, it was like a Wednesday night, and I got back on South Memorial Parkway in my silver Pontiac Grand Prix, was my company car, and I called my mom on my old, like, singular cell phone, and I mean, that's how vividly I remember this. It had the little joystick in the middle. It was like, silver, so like oval and flat at the bottom. And I called her and I said, um, I said, that's where I belong. That's where I need to be. And she said, good, that that's, that's great. I'm glad you realized that. Uh, don't quit your day job. Find a way to make it work. Well, that would take about another nine years until I figured that out. I did, I did football games on CSS. I did Auburn replays, Auburn pay-per-views. I did the Sunbelt for three years. Um, I did multiple guest spots on radio shows. Um, And then finally I got my own show in Huntsville on a startup radio station. And I couldn't even do that for more than three years because they quit paying me. Mm -hmm. And then I got on another station in Huntsville, WUMP, which is sort of the flagship sports station in the rocket city. And was able to do a show there for about three years and then came down to jocks. You know, the the when the SEC network was launched, I wasn't a part of it. I mean, I was like this other guy that might get a game or two. And I can remember the first year the SEC network was launched, I think I did two games that fall. I did like Arkansas, Nichols, and then some other non-conference game. I don't even know what the game was. And, I mean, I was devastated. And I can remember my wife and I had a conversation after the season. And she said, "She said, listen, if you if you can't find – a I, this is what you want to do. I know you're good at it. And people tell you you're good at it. And I think you should chase it. She said, but if you can't find more games to do on the weekends, we might need to look at something else because – I can't stand coal that's home on Saturdays during the fall. It's, it's evident how miserable you are and I just can't deal with it. So either find more games or find something else to do. And I think the next year I did 12 games, my cousins and I, along with Kevin Waddell, who's a scout for the Ravens. Now we mm-hmm. did like a hodgepodge of games. We did a couple sec network alternate games. We got what we got like, Mississippi state and law tech on like the night of the Alabama LSU game on regular sec network. And we thought that we had just like gotten assigned the national championship game. And I mean, we did a couple mountain West games. I did some American games. Like I did Pax and Lynch's final game at Memphis against SMU when I think they scored on like seven of their first nine plays they called.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then, you know, did a game out at Utah state and Logan. That was super cool. Did a, uh, did a high school game in Louisiana it was supposed to be Shea Patterson versus Lindsey Scott and Shea Patterson went to IMG like two weeks before. So he wasn't playing like, it was just a random assortment of games, but it was fun. And you know, it was reps. And that's why I'm doing Sanford games this spring. I got my first games this weekend and I'll do their four home games. It's reps, it's football. Um, it's an opportunity to see things and talk about things and be in front of the camera. It's never not going to make me better. So I just, um, I think I always wanted to do it, but People forget very, very quickly that when I got out of school, there just weren't a ton of opportunities like there are now. I mean, now you can just go start a podcast a YouTube channel and just do your own thing. And it might work. Mm -hmm. You might never need anybody at ESPN or CBS or Cumulus or any radio affiliate or radio station. You might need nothing from anyone ever. And you could be a successful member of the media. It just wasn't like that back then. So it was very hard to see that one of those spots was attainable and I think that along with what the money really was, I just said, I'm going to try something else. And at least I'll got some, at least my bank account will have a zero or two in it.
0: How do you think the development of sports media has since you first immersed yourself into it with all the podcasts now, with all the smaller media networks with every small town now almost having their own little radio sports. Yeah. Talk.
1: I think it's great because very few people are forced to consume things that they don't like or they don't believe in, or they don't trust. And that's not just sports. I think that's really everything. I mean, hell it's cooking, it's gardening, it's dungeons and dragons. It's everything. Like whatever you want, you probably got a YouTube channel. You probably got a podcast. You might have a show on TV somewhere with all these channels we get now. you have got things you can read online. So I, I think the fact that there are so many people that are so specific in what they cover and their expertise can be shared in so many different ways. I think it's, I think it's great. And I think it just, it's a, it's opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what I told people during the during quarantine, the pandemic that I said I hated the most was some people may say, Oh, swimming team's gone or, Oh, this division three team canceled football. To me, when I see that, I see opportunities that are taken from people and that bothers me because I just explained to you earlier why I'm where I am because of football and because of team and because of competition, because of being around people. And it's just, I see however many spots, however many sports were cut and however many roster spots that was a thousand, five hundred, three thousand. 3000. Those are people that were going to have extra opportunities to develop themselves as human beings, as individuals, as people, as teammates, as husbands, as wives, as sisters, brothers, sons, whatever. And now they're not going to have that. And that sucks in my opinion. So um, I, I think really it's, it's just, it's fantastic that there are, if I said it earlier. It's my favorite quote and it, it's Kevin Weidel, the guy that I mentioned to you, it's the scout for the Ravens. Your work will present itself. If you put the work in, it's going to, people are going to find you somehow, some way, especially now. And that's why it's great to have so many different outlets because a guy like big cat and PFT can have the most popular podcasts in sports. Whereas in 2002, There's no way anybody knows who those guys are because can you imagine them going, sitting down in front of some nerd radio executive saying, we would like to do a morning show. This is how it sounds. They would kick their ass out of there in three seconds. Yeah. I mean, the the sunglasses and long hair guy, get out of here. Like you're done. We're not, not we don't don't even need to have a conversation with you, Mm -hmm. but now they can be the most, they can have the most popular sports podcast on planet earth like that. That's cool. That's what's great about it. So, you know, can it get a little bit, You know, can it get repetitive and can it get, you know, a little bit silly with, you know, some people thinking that they have to say these crazy things to get people's attention? Yeah, sometimes, but it's also easy not to pay attention to it. You know, turn the channel, scroll again on Twitter, go to the next thing, like don't even start it. So um, the a la carte portion of consuming sports media, I think is great for a lot of different reasons.
0: And for you, you started out – Covering Sunbelt, you said you've done some AAC games, uh, SEC. Uh, I call the Sunbelt the Fun Bell on Thursday nights. That's, that's, I love it. I I love watching those. What's been the best game you've had the the privilege to cover? I know I'm throwing you on the spot a little bit.
1: I don't even know if I've ever thought of it that way, as far as the best quality of game, you know, back and forth, competitive you know, what happened, how I happened. I would, I would literally need to sit down and go back and look and think because I don't, you know, it's kind of weird. I don't, I walk away from a game thinking very different things. Obviously a lot of my attention is on how the broadcast went, how we sounded and then how I sounded, how my, how accurate my hits were, what I, what I want to correct next time. I mean, I'm all of that. So very rarely you're doing,
0: you're doing the mental reps of the game already all
1: going through right through the game again. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think because of how the other things that I have to watch for, like I don't love talking about injuries, but if it's an important player, I got to follow that. I got to go see that. I want to watch coaching interactions. I want to watch player coaching interactions on the sideline. I miss some stuff. So I'm not just watching the game the entire time. I try to, I try to see every play, but sometimes there are other things that I have to go do. So it's hard for me to actually consume how great of a game it is that I'm watching sometimes. Um,
0: What about an interview? Do you have an interview that's really stood out for you?
1: I I got, I got a a ton of those. Tom Herman before the Memphis Houston game would be number one, just because, I mean, that, that got in front of a lot of people that, that almost changed some things for me. Um, But I've had a ton of just great interviews. Like, um, from last year, I mean Billy Napier, after the win against Iowa State, knowing that they just lost, you know their assistant offensive line coach a few weeks before that, and they're having to play for DJ in that game, like that was that was one of the cooler interviews that I've done. Um, I, I don't think that there's any doubt. Like Vinny Snell at Kentucky a couple of years ago after the game, like he was awesome. Derek Mason after he beat Tennessee, I had that game, like that was awesome. Got him bowl eligible, like that was fantastic. So. Yeah, interviews, I could go on and on and on. I've had, I've had a ton of good interviews. Then,
0: so what would you say to an aspiring sports journalist? This is one of the fan questions that I've received. What, Even if they don't have a degree in, uh, in communications or media, they just want to start their own little show or podcast, or what would you say to them, an aspiring sports journalist?
1: I would start with what I've told you a few times, your work will present itself. So whatever you put out there, whatever work is behind that, people are going to be able to see through it. No matter how cool you sound or how good your delivery is, you could be, you could be the best Ron Burgundy on planet earth. But if you don't know what the hell you're talking about, people are going to see that and they're going to figure that out. Um, The other thing that I would say, some advice that I always give, never be afraid to admit that you were wrong. I have gotten myself out of a lot of trouble by when initially being questioned on something, I would just say, you know what? You're right. I missed on that guy. I was totally wrong. Perfect example of that is Rolando McLean at Alabama. I saw him play in high school. Um, I didn't like what I saw. I shared that on the air. He goes to Alabama, one of the best to ever do it. I'm, going, I'm on that same radio show a couple months after his career is over. Guy calls in. He's mad. He asked me about it. And I said, you know what, sir? I'll just be honest with you. I missed. Like, I was, I was wrong. That kid's an amazing player. Mm-hmm. One of the best I've ever seen do it. And that one's on me. Um, I think you will earn a lot of respect you'll earn a lot of trust. And I think you'll keep yourself out of a lot of trouble. There's a lot of people that try to talk around why they were wrong instead of just saying, yeah, man, I screwed that one up. Well, uh, let's go on to the next one though. Um, that that's, you know, never be afraid to admit when you're wrong. Just own um, it. And yeah. And I think also know that you will be wrong and because I, mean, I, I have a guy that comes on my show. Um, you know, Vegas runner at Greek underscore gambler. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he's amazing. I mean, he'll tell you all the time, like the reason that people don't win in as professional gamblers is like 30% is really good. Yeah. And like, you're going to be wrong. You're going to miss no matter how much information you have, no matter what kind of streak you're on, you're going to be wrong.
0: All the analytics so, that you're using, whatever, doesn't matter. whatever math you're trying to do to ha- whatever you think you have an edge, you never, yep. never a guarantee.
1: And then the last one that I would say is this, and this one's weird for me because I absolutely despised the amount of times that my father would say this to me and share this with me and try to promote this within me growing up as a kid. Network. yeah, you got to network, man. And it's, it's probably more important in this job, this field, than anything else. And the coolest part about this field is, and I could give you a laundry list of names like Lance Taylor, Booger McFarlane, Laura Rutledge, Steve Ackle, Stephanie Drewley, um, Patrick Donaher. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on of people, um, you know, in, in Fitzsimmons has been great. Johnny Ballpark Franks was great. Um, I mean, Freddie Coleman's been great. Like I could just, um, the Michael Mazvinsky has been great. The people who have helped me get to where I've gotten just from a small phone call. Um, it's, it's extraordinary. And for some reason, people in this business, I think they know because it's hard. It's not easy. It's, it's, you're not, you're very rarely handed anything in this business. Some people are, there are a few out there. And I think everybody knows who those people are and that's okay. Um, that's just life. That's the way it works. But you know, I, I think you, you've, you've got to know who can help you. And you've got to know that you're probably not going to get anywhere without help. And that was hard for me. Cause I don't like asking for things. So for me to call up my boss and say, Hey, I'd really like to do that game. If you don't have a sideline guy, I'd like to do that. Or if you haven't put somebody in the booth for those games, I'd love to do those. That's not an easy thing for me, but I've learned that if I don't do that and someone else doesn't bring my name up, my name's not coming up. So uh, you've got a network, whether it's a guy who can get you you know, behind the board to, to run it for a certain show and you're not getting paid to get that experience or just get in the door. Uh, someone who could have you on as a guest of their podcast or you know, somebody who, whatever it is, you've got to know how to, how to kick some of those doors down and networking is the way to do it. And there are more people in this field. I've told you earlier, I've been in insurance, packaging. I've been in, I've been in retail. I've been in med and pharma sales. I have not come across another field where more people are more willing to help you for nothing in return than I have this field here. And I think it's just because people know, number one, the value of knowing people for different reasons that's not just to get a job but for a lot of reasons information mainly but then two that somebody probably helped them multiple people helped them lots of people helped them so you always got to try to pass it down pay it forward
0: for me it was, networking is always the biggest advocate that i always say to aspiring sports journalists too like and plus, the other thing is, if you want to be in sports media, that's not your nine to five job. That's that's my yeah, first yeah, that's, thing that I always say. I've, walked for the, I've you, worked with a few If you are looking to... for the nine to five job, you are not in the right business because sometimes you're up at two or three a.m. trying to write a story. I know. I had the luxury of writing for SB Nation, Underdog Dynasty, covering American football this past these past couple of years, and. Sometimes you're up at 3 a.m. trying to get that story in before deadline that they want to have yep. it out before that 8 a.m.
1: Uh, I've worked with some guys that thought when they turned the microphone off on the radio show, like, the day was over. and It's just like, how did you not see that game last night? Like, what – how did you not watch that? Or you watched no football this weekend? Like, what – so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 all the time.
0: Yeah, Exactly. And for you, now that you're more of an, you're an influencer to the younger generation. Uh, I know I've covered all, I watch all your content. I cover all your stuff a lot and I'm really humbled that you're even on right now, but who was a big influencer for you?
1: Well, I, I think there's two ways that you describe that. And that is number one, people that you wanted to be like, and I'll be honest there. I mean, I, I'm, Every good idea was stolen, so I try to steal stuff from everybody all the time. Like I watch Greg McElroy, I watch Kirk Herbstreit, I listen to what Jordan's saying on our games, I watch Joel Clatt. I'm, I'm if they do something good, I want to try to take it and make it my own somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there are people like there are people growing up that I wanted to be like. Like John Madden would be number one. You know, Madden and Summerall were just. I didn't care who was playing. I wanted to watch that. Like I just I wanted to be that. Um, they you know, that was and, – and I think, too, the way that Madden talked about the game, you know, he, he was a guy that, you know, he didn't really – he didn't call it in a traditional sense. He had so much more fun with it and, and just made it so much more enjoyable. Um, you know, I think, I think watching the NFL primetime growing up with, with Tom Jackson and Chris Berman, the way they talked about highlights, like just they made it so much more fun and entertaining and interesting – You know, I can remember watching them, wanting to be like those guys. Um, There there are a lot of people like that. Um, You know, Adrian Carston doing sideline, like wearing those big suspenders. And, you know, he seemed to find different, unique stories that most people couldn't really find. So I think there's a lot of guys like that out there. And, And then I think the other part of that answer would be the people who have really assisted and helped. You know, I think of my boss right now, Ryan Haney at at Cumulus and how he's fought for me a couple of times to get me on board and finally was able to get me hired. Lance Taylor, who's on that morning show, um, he used to have a one hour show on jocks and he would have me on as a guest when nobody really knew who I was. You know, his old partner, Ian Fitzsimmons, has done everything he can to try to get me in front of people, help me help people. Uh, You know, I mentioned Steve Ackles at ESPN, who has been my champion, number one advocate, would not be where I am without him um you have to it's one of the things that i take away from medical sales my boss used to always tell us find a champion in every account so find someone that if you go in there and you need to sell that day to get to your number for the month of the year or whatever and you know they may they may find a way to get something extra done because it's you not because of what it is that's what a champion for you will do um yeah i can remember john vasallo at espn and you know he's a guy that not only for me, but for Jordan and Tom and myself would, would really go to bat for how good we were, what we had done. And then you always, I mean, I get guys like an Adam Amin or a Peter Burns or, you know, Booger McFarland that just say nice things publicly that they probably think is just, it's just, they just thought of it, but in reality could be very beneficial for everything you're doing. So there are, there are a lot of those people out there for me, no doubt.
0: Lastly, before I let you go, Cole, uh, my last question for you is, I mean, we were able to make it through a college football season that many people highly doubted that was going to happen. What was your overall expectation for it? And now the FCS season has just gotten underway these past couple of weeks. What's your expectation for that? Is it going to be very similar to what we've seen, we saw last fall and just give me your overall idea of what we're going to see.
1: I think it'll be similar in how things are handled and managed, and and um, what what happens to players and games, but it's obviously not going to get the coverage or anything like that. I mean, I I was dialed in two weeks ago to Tarleton McNeese, and then that game Saturday was absolutely night, crazy. It was great, and why the starting quarterback came out for Tarleton, I still don't know. I mean, i was, I was <laughs> going to my grave wondering why that happened. But I mean, I'm I'm sitting here, I'm watching North Dakota State yesterday. My wife wants to start Ted Lasso and I want to watch North Dakota State. And Friday night, I'm going and finding Northern Iowa, playing South Dakota State. And you know, I'm watching Sanford because I'm doing those Sanford games. So I'm I'm like dialed into the Sanford game on Saturday, trying to watch some of that Jackson State game. I mean, it's you know, for me, it's football, so I love it, and, and I'm going to c- try to consume it. I hope more people learn about FCS football with the spring season. That might be cool for them. Um, getting through it this past year, what did I anticipate that would, it would be? I, I don't believe I anticipated it would be as different as it was. Um, now, when I say that, that's, that's a big part of it. When, when the ball was kicked off, there wasn't a whole lot that was different with the way I talked about the game, the way I watched the game, especially, and what the game was to me when I was working it. Um, Now that I have to have a mask on most of the time. Yeah. Were there games that I was in the first row of the stands? Yes. Um, Technically, did we have to overcome some obstacles and hurdles? Absolutely. Um, Was it as enjoyable not meeting with the coaches in person and not always having my teammates there with me in person? Of course not. That's just that. I mean, that's, that's human nature. That's our, that's human emotion. But, the football was pretty close. Um, and that was, that made it really cool, but the biggest difference for me out of everything that changed technically and fundamentally for how we work, who we worked with, when we worked with other people, how we did things that we, you know, how much our normal process changed. The biggest difference for me was walking into those stadiums or driving, really driving on campus to those stadiums. We had Auburn, Kentucky in the opener. And I remember, Driving into that stadium, I didn't see a single RV. I didn't see a single uh, tailgate tent. Um, I stayed at the Alabama-Kentucky game. I stayed at the hotel two blocks from the stadium. And two and a half hours before kick, I walk out of my hotel. And I before I got to the security at the stadium, I did not pass another human being. On an Alabama game day, two and a half hours before kick, I did not walk by another person. That's that that was totally different. You know, being able to pull up to Kroger Field in Lexington, a hundred feet from the stadium, and not even really have police working traffic at that point, because it was two and a half hours for kick. Um, those were those were very weird instances. And you're just used to seeing tents and tents and tents and people and people and groups of people walking. And you know, I'm I'm pulling into a game at Baton Rouge, and like I'm used to seeing people in purple wigs and school buses painted with purple tiger stripes and all these tints and smelling gumbo and none of that. You didn't get it. So that was, that was where this season was most different.
0: Do you think it'll get corrected by it in fall 2021? Not completely. No,
1: not completely. I think it'll be much closer, but it's it's not going to be what we're, it's not going to be normal. uh, Maybe until 2022, in my opinion
0: that's that's wild and just and like no words just that i am thankful though that we are able to have college that we're able to get college football yes
1: 100 percent.
0: yeah and by the way your wife's about right about ted lasso i watched it great
1: show so you well, we we saw half of the first one last night um i've heard it's wonderful we like it so far I do think that it's unfair that no one mentions that it has completely ripped off major league, but other than that. Oh yeah, it does. Without without a doubt that
0: it is. (laughs) Not a question. Well, Cole, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your Monday. I really cherish this opportunity to have you on. It was great. Uh, Hope you stay safe and everything that's going on. Thank you. Look forward to catch up with you again soon. Absolutely. Well, Enjoy the rest of your Monday, everyone. That
1: was your special edition of Final Whistle. Be ready.